This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 251 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We've got some wicked wind in the area, so you're probably going to hear wind, rain, and definitely wind chimes. Definitely. This wind around here today has been crazy. Terribly, terribly windy for some reason. Tracy, we got a fun show lined up, uh, special guests coming on afterwards. We've got the young ladies from the Tales That We Tell podcast, Hannah and Katie. Yeah. They tell us a really fun story from over in uh, Germany, I think it was, Austria, Austria or Germany. I can't remember, but this is one that, that'll kind of creep you out a little bit, well, without but, a doubt. I can't wait to hear that. And then uh, we're going to talk about our trip to the Haunted Hell's Bar Dam Marina mm-hmm. and the ghost tour we went on. And I'll tell you about a special guest we got coming up based on the ghost tour. And all that is coming up soon. But first, we want to thank all of our men and women in our military services and all of our civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you to all of you, and uh, we appreciate what you do for us every day. Yes, we do. Um uh, you guys are just always in our prayers, and we just think about you guys all the time. You are our heroes, so God bless you guys for protecting us. Also, we want to make sure that we are letting everybody know that, uh, you know, hey, it's a tough time for everybody, and all you got to do is watch the news, and there's something depressing. I know I just saw something a little bit ago. Uh, I think today there's been two different cases of shootings in the U.S. I think yeah. one in, uh in New York and Times Square, and I just saw something a little bit ago about Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just a crazy time we live in, and, and some of these situations, I don't know if it's just people didn't know how to cope, and they, they went off uh, the edge. Uh, obviously, mental illness is usually involved in every one of these situations. So we just want to let you know that, you know, if times are tough, you know, you're struggling right now and you need somebody to talk to, Please reach out to us. We've had a couple of people do that this week, and we thank you for that. Um, also, we want to make sure that you know that we've got the group, 5,100 people strong that are willing to help you day or night, any time of day, any day of the week. There's always somebody on there that you can talk to, and uh, most of those people will allow you to reach out to them personally, and I, I'm so proud of that. But we just want people to know that in, in these tough times, if you're having trouble coping, please don't be afraid to reach out. And, and I'm, I want to add to that. If you know somebody that you know is struggling, don't wait for them to reach out for you. Mm-hmm. Reach out to them. Absolutely. That's that's going that one step beyond, and you never know uh, what a difference you can make in somebody's life. Timing can be everything. It definitely can. Um, but if you guys would rather reach out to the hotline number, it's 1-800-273-8255, or you can text to 741-741. Just remember, we are here for you guys, and 
we don't want you to be alone in this. Yeah, and I, I'm going to mention something that's um, it kind of goes hand in hand. We've got a really good friend of ours, Tom Mabe, comedian mm-hmm. Tom Mabe. If you've ever listened to Bob and Tom show, you probably are familiar with his pranks that he does on telemarketers and then other pranks that he just does. He's huge, uh, millions of followers on YouTube and, and stuff like that. But Tom actually um, had some problems with addiction, alcohol addiction. He got sober about a year ago, and now he's turning uh, his platform into doing something similar to what we do. He's got, if you go to Facebook, it's called Sober Talk, S-O-B-E-R-T-A-L-K. And it's basically, he does a, a nightly show, mm-hmm. 20, 30 minute show every night. It's him and his sponsor. And, you know, they take phone calls, but they're a Facebook group. It's a private group. They do something similar to where they allow people who are struggling with dependency issues to come on and post. And they have, it's like, a, it's like its own little support group there for what they do. So if you guys are out there having any situations at all where you're having trouble dealing with dependency issues, Go check out Sober Talk on Facebook and uh, sign up for the group and, and and watch Tom's videos and stuff. They are really helpful to people. And we're going to get Tom on as a guest here in a couple of weeks to talk about that part of it. Yeah, Tom's an awesome, awesome dude. Yeah. Okay. As usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 in all hot sauce. And they are hashtag king of flavor. That's what they tell us, and seven, that's be true. Seven different flavors. You can find most of them in your area local grocery stores. I guess area local is the same thing. Oh, yeah. You can find them in your local grocery stores. If not, go to com. You can buy merchandise. You can buy hot sauce. Nice little caps. You got the little individual hot sauce dispensers you can carry on your keychain that Tracy's in love with. <laughs> and yeah. if you put in Hillbilly Horror as the code, you'll get 10% off total purchase. There you go. Good deal. All right, Trace, are you ready? I'm ready. So we went out of town this weekend, uh, technically Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we got back in time to be able to record the show. We went to Hell's Bar Dam. It's technically not a dam anymore, Mm -hmm. uh, but they turned it into a marina and resort. And all the major ghost uh, hunting shows have been there. Kindred Spirits was there. Ghost Adventures were there. And uh, investigated the place. But it used to be a hydroelectric place. And it was one of the, the biggest in the United States, one of the tallest at the time. It's sinking a little bit. So every every year it's a little bit lower underwater. And they're not doing the tours right now. They used to give tours all the time. They do a haunted attraction uh, out there at Halloween every year. Mm-hmm. But we were talking to the people at the marina. And they said that the owner is converting it into a whiskey distillery. Yep. And then once all that's done, they're going to pick the tours back up and they'll do distillery tours and they'll also do the haunted tours again. That's good. Uh, but they were they were excited about it. And, and we stayed in a floating cabin that, I mean, it was walking distance because we, we could sit right there and mm-hmm. and uh, look at it from where, where our dock was. And it was kind of cool just knowing that that place has got the history that it does and the hauntings that it does. And we were right there. Yeah, that's a pretty cool place. It was a lot of fun. So then we took the first night we were there, we went down and took the haunted Chattanooga uh, ghost walking tour. Man, that was fun. It was fun. We had an excellent guide. His name was Jason Tenney, and he's going to come on the show next week and tell us about some places that uh, 
uh, that are in downtown that we weren't aware of. And mm-hmm. We knew some of the places, we didn't know all of it. Now, here's the funny part, and this is why we're talking about this before the show. This week's show is going to be on the Reed House Hotel. Now, we had already written the show before we went down. I just, we just hadn't recorded it yet. So, mm-hmm. I knew all the research. So, we were probably, what, 45 minutes into the, an hour and a half tour. Yeah. And the weather said it was going to be zero precipitation, sunny for all three days we were going to be down there. So, no weather, no rain, perfect. We get... 45, 50 minutes into the ghost tour. And we are walking to the Reed House Hotel. (laughs) And we get in a little courtyard that's there. We're in the back. And right as we start to walk into the courtyard, the wind kicks up. And I mean crazy type wind. Like he had a hat, the guy had a hat on and it kept blowing off. He had to take his hat off. Tracy's weave was blowing everywhere. Oh my gosh, it was awful. I mean, I had to literally hold on to somebody or Jerry or, or a fence or something because it was that strong. The, it was ridiculous. The street signs were flicking back and forth so fast. They were making that sound mm-hmm. that metal does when it's, you know, that thunder sound that metal makes when it flips back and forth. And it was, it was crazy out there and branches had fallen off trees yeah. and all this just came in, a, in an instant. Mm-hmm. So it starts raining. And once again, it, all this took place when we got to the Reed house, mm-hmm. which is the story that we're doing tonight. It was just kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't want you even talking about about it because it just, and then it got, well, I guess it stayed windy the rest of the tour, I reckon. But. Yeah, it was windy the rest of the tour and it was kind of chilly. And Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, man. It was. But it all started when we got to the mm-hmm. subject of tonight's story. I know. It's really bizarre. All right. So, oh, and the next night, Tanya Bryson, who works for uh, Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum, we went on a... Uh, what do you call it? A dinner, a dinner, dinner train, train ride. Mm-hmm. Great food, by the way. I would highly suggest any of you do that. Also, would highly suggest any of you guys go stay at the Hell Bars, uh, damn Marina, because that was fun. The, the people were very nice to us, mm-hmm. and we felt like it was a beautiful place to stay. You can fish right off the cabin, mm-hmm. the dock, of your cabin, and all that. But when we went to the Tennessee Valley Railroad Museum, there's a haunted train car there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were able to see all that and get a personal tour of the dinner train and all that. So I thought it was really cool. And we're excited to do this story. All right. Let's talk about the haunted Reed House Hotel. As usual, we start with some history of a place. And this one has got plenty of history, as we found out. Even more history than we realized. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the Crutchfield House. And that was built in 1847. The old Crutchfield house was built by the Crutchfields, as Mm -hmm. you can probably imagine. They were a very prominent family in the area, and the Crutchfields were pretty smart. I say that because during this time in Chattanooga, the railway was the main source of business for pretty much anything that went on, import, exports. It all came by railroad. And they decided to build the old Crutchfield house right across from the railway. So it makes sense. This allowed the old Crutchfield house, which was also doubled as an inn, to prosper. It also served another purpose, though. During the Civil War, it served as a hospital for the wounded Union soldiers traveling through the city. In 1867, after surviving floods in the Civil War, the old Crutchfield house burnt completely to the ground. That's terrible. So after the fire, 
the current owners at the time decided not to rebuild. And we'll get into a little more of this as we go. John T. Reed, then he decided that he was going to build a hotel in place of the old inn there. So he kind of stepped in and got the property. The new Reed House Hotel opened on New Year's Day, 1872. In 1926, that hotel was torn down and a 10-story hotel that stands today was built. And then that's kind of like the, the main part of the hotel and they've added other parts of it yes. on as they mm -hmm. went and made it a little bit bigger. So before we get into the paranormal side of things, I want to tell you a story about the Crutchfield brothers and Jefferson Davis. Okay. So just as the Civil War was about to kind of kick into high gear, it wasn't really a Civil War yet. It was just on the, the verge of getting started. Jefferson Davis resigned his position as a U.S. Senator in the state of Tennessee. Why? Because the Confederates had recruited him. Oh. On his way home to Mississippi, he decided that he was going to stop and spend the night in the old Crutchfield house. At some point during the night, either at, at dinner or while they were having brandy, afterwards with the Crutchfield brothers, Jefferson Davis said that he thought the southern states should secede from the Union and be their own country. This was a touchy subject for the Crutchfield brothers. William Crutchfield was a strong Union supporter. Thomas Crutchfield, on the other hand, his brother, was a strong Southern supporter. Mm -hmm. When William heard Davis talking about this, this whole seceding from the, from the Union, he kind of whipped his chair around and he pointed his finger at Jefferson Davis, who obviously would go on to be the president of the Confederacy, mm -hmm. and he called him a traitor and a military despot. Ooh, them fighting words. Davis was pretty ticked off. And he demanded a duel. Oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> well, Thomas grabbed his brother by the arm. He dragged him out of the room. Now, this is a prime example, basically in a nutshell, of how the state of Tennessee looked at the whole situation. You know, families were torn apart. Brothers disagreed with brothers. Fathers disagreed with son. Yeah. And this is, a, like I said, it's a prime example. You got two brothers who were on opposite sides of the fence on their, their way of thinking. There really isn't much to talk about as far as the relationship during the Civil War between William and Thomas. We know that, that William ended up becoming a major with the Union, but supposedly only fought for the first week after joining up. How, how does that happen? Well, the reason that he, was that he had a serious illness after that first week that prevented him from fighting. But there was a book that was written by one of their, their close relatives, Elizabeth Wall Saxon, in 1905, and she states that William later heard, you know, as he got a little bit older, that his wife, who was a strong supporter of the South, keep in mind he was a supporter of the North, had drugged him <gasps> heavily to oh. prevent him from being able to take part in the battle. Oh, my gosh. I was wondering how all of a sudden, like, you randomly got sick. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it wasn't that odd, odd for people to randomly get sick back in the days like well... that. Because if you remember... Uh, Abraham Lincoln's stepson ended up dying after just fighting a couple of months you know, and not well, I guess so. It just seemed kind of weird. So we mentioned that the Crutchfields house spent some time as a hospital during the Civil War. Now, most people will point out that that night of the argument between William Thomas and Jefferson Davis, that there was a turning point between the brothers. Wait, did he divorce that heifer? Well, I don't know. Oh. I didn't find out about that. Oh. <laughs> Oddly said... enough, wasn't something I was curious oh. about. <laughs> Hell, for all I know, when he found out, she might have already been dead or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Gotcha. 
like I said, there was a big turning point that night of the, of the fight, and the, the brothers decided that they were going to sell the old Crutchfield house just before the Civil War officially broke out. So that's what they did. Mm-hmm. The new owners didn't have, really have the financial luck that the Crutchfields had had, mainly because they're starting off in the middle of a Civil well, War. Well, yeah, that ain't, that's not helpful. In 1863, the property was converted into a makeshift hospital for the Union forces and only Union forces until it burned down in 1867. This time frame is what most people believe caused the many hauntings that are at the hotel today. That would do it. Now, I will point out, I just said that it was, all my research said that it was only for the Union forces. And it probably had a lot to do with William Crutchfield because he obviously was a major in the Union and, and, and his say so mattered. But he didn't, they didn't own the hotel at the time. He had already sold it, mm-hmm. so I don't know that he would have had any say-so in the matter. But when we were on our tour, I talked about uh, Jason Tenney. He had mentioned that at one point it they did serve some Confederate soldiers, too, and it ended up being Union, but he says in the early part of it, it started off with Confederate soldiers. So I don't know which part of that. Everything I saw said it was strictly Union, mm-hmm. but Jason lives in the area, and he's talks you know does this research all the time so it may there may be a little more to that than what i realized oh gotcha. so i'm just giving both sides just in case also um if you guys are hearing some weird noises it is my dang stomach <laughs> i don't want you to think there's like a demon in this room i don't know what is happening but i can hear it up here so i hope we all don't hear it anyway sorry for many guests who stay at the beautiful luxury hotel, and it is a it beautiful, is beautiful luxury hotel. Yes, it's this gorgeous. This is a very expensive hotel. Mm-hmm. But for the many guests who stay here, it is anything but a peaceful night. Cold spots, breezes, shadowy type figures, and strange noises are often reported from guests. One guest said that he was awakened by a gurgling sound coming from the toilet. And the toilet then flushed by itself, and it's not one of the automatic toilets. Well, Tracy, you know, I was, yeah. was going to get you to hold the mic to your stomach for the gurgling sound effect. <laughs> oh my but. God. It would be the most authentic <laughs> sound effect ever. <laughs> Other guests have seen the apparition of a Civil War soldier roaming the halls of the hotel's fourth floor. So we're going to tell you some more experiences later, but we have to discuss the most common reason that paranormal investigators and enthusiasts come to the Reed House Hotel. Room 311. Oh, yeah. Where do I want to start with room 311? You I got guess a lot start, to say. Yeah, I guess I'll start with the legend, since that's kind of where the story comes from. There's several different variations. Supposedly, the room is haunted by Annalisa Netherly. Now, I've seen her name as Annalisa, and I've heard it as Annalisa so, I don't know which way's right. Let's just say Lisa, because Lisa. Well, Tim, I mean, uh, Jason said it was Lisa, Annalisa. Oh, Annalisa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay. But it's spelled A-N-N-A-L-I-S-A. So no, that's Annalisa. Well, you don't know. Do what I say. People pronounce it different. Once again, he lives there, so I'll side. Yeah, that's true. But I've seen a bunch of videos where it's Annalisa, so I guess nobody really knows. Supposedly, the room is haunted by her, and Annalisa was a sex worker in the area in the 1920s and the 30s. 
And she would rent this room out for sometimes extended periods of time, according to most versions of the story. So obviously, she business was good. Apparently. I get that money. Annalisa was found dead in the bathtub, oh. almost completely decapitated. <gasps> I found lots of stories that said that this much is fact. Oh, my gosh. So I feel pretty confident that there was a woman in that room that was found almost decapitated oh, in the bathtub. that's really sad. See, money ain't worth everything, y'all. Come on. <laughs> I know she died in that room. And I know she died in that manner. But I couldn't find a date or even a year that this happened to be mm-hmm. able to document it. Now, one story says that she was killed by a jealous lover or maybe even her husband. What the... Well, I mean, it could be that she just had a side hustle and husband didn't know about it. Hmm. But some say that there was a client that brought her up to the room that did the ghastly deed. Another version says it was a man who fell in love with her and he eventually started to see other women and this left her brokenhearted and suicidal and that she took her own life by doing that. Even one story dates all the way back to the Civil War days and said that she brought a uh, Confederate soldier home and he killed her and left her in a room all alone. As you can see, this bounces around all over the place. It sure does. Well, either way, it's a sad situation. Now, I didn't see much about the Civil War stuff. Almost everything I said other than one source Mm -hmm. said that it happened in the the 20s or the 30s. Now, if you remember, I, I had said that they rebuilt the hotel what was it in 1926 mm-hmm. so if it was in the late 20s it would have been in the new hotel and if it was before that it would have been in the old hotel so it it leads me to believe 311 that it would have been in the late 20s when yeah. the new hotel was built hmm. the most sad. common theory though is that she arrived at the hotel in the 1920s and was murdered by a jealous husband or boyfriend and after catching her with another man then slashed her throat from ear to ear nearly decapitating her and she was soaking in the bathtub an hour later when she was found. Mm. And, you know, once again, listening to the tour guide the other night, he said that's what a lot of people think, that it was maybe a jealous husband that didn't know that she was... She was doing that. She, yeah, she was doing sex work on the side. Yeah. Somehow got wind that she was at the hotel, came up, caught her, boom. You know, but I don't know if anybody would really know... Right. If that happened or not. I mean, you would think somebody around town would be like, hey, uh, John, where's your wife? I ain't seen her in a while. Mm-hmm. And being a, Chattanooga is not that big of a town. You would think that there would be a word that somebody decapitated was found in a bathtub and somebody local would put two and two together. Yeah. Well, you would think that would be the case unless they just didn't want it out there. I mean, it's like, I can't really tell without the head, but this looks a lot like your <gasps> wife. Oh my gosh. Horrid. Reports of paranormal activity have been prevalent in the hotel for decades but a large part of the reports come from room 311. Many guests have left in the middle of the night. There have been reports of shadow images and mirrors and glimpses of spirits moving around the room and even resting on the bed. Well, I think that guy said that the people have taken pictures and seen uh, images in the window. So. Yeah, and then he had said that sometimes a man will sit down in the room and he will see like an impression on beside him as they're sitting down. Mm-hmm. One of the common themes here is that the spirit who occupies room 311 hates men, and particularly men who smoke. 
A local said that one man said that he was attacked by an unseen force that left his body covered in bruises. He said that the entity moved objects in the room and even threw a lamp at him. <laughs> so he thought why he's beating him up, he was like, smoke is bad for you, don't you know? <laughs> at one point, there was so much violent activity in the room that the hotel would only rent it out if the hotel was full or if it was specifically requested. Supposedly, after the incident we just told you about with the guy that got, you know, beat up, the room was locked and off-limits to rent, and it hadn't been available for a couple of years, and apparently it's supposedly available now since 2019. Yeah. When they did some remodeling and stuff, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. And so we mentioned earlier the reconstruction of the hotel in 1926. So it's believed that during the reconstruction... The original room 311 now may be room 313 today. So even though 311 is the one everybody goes to, because it's marked 311, that 311 used to be what is now 313. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. During the reconstruction of it, it got changed. Here's another fun tidbit about room 311. So if you're actually staying in the room, and you look on the outside of the window there, you will see the remnants in the brick there of some bars that used to be over the window. They were cut off from the window, but the ends of the bars are still kind of stuck in the brick. Oh, so the window is cool. free. You thought you don't have bars, and you probably can't, couldn't tell it unless you were looking out the window. Yeah, if I from the floor, see it. you really can't tell it. This is because Al Capone was placed in this room during his federal trial. He was on the way to the trial. Mm-hmm. They decided to stay there. Can't have Al Capone escaping. No. So uh-uh. they put the, the uh, bars in the window just for that reason because of him. They didn't remove the bars until the renovation of 2004. Capone supposedly had no incidents while he was staying in the haunted room, which is extremely odd considering that he had lots of paranormal experiences and had his own little personal ghost terrorized name all throughout prison. <laughs> yeah. and then he stays in one of the most haunted hotels in the room, mm-hmm. in the, one of the most haunted rooms in one of the most haunted hotels in the country. Yeah, and, nothing. And he has nothing. Yeah. So Capone stayed here in 1931, and Capone might not have seen her, but several others in the hotel have seen her. She's said to be a brunette wearing a white dress, as normal, and primarily seen by children. Mm. Some have even said that her spirit looks to be pregnant. Her hair is usually said to be in a bun. Aww. And I'm surprised most people didn't think that was you that oh. night when we were there. But you didn't <laughs> have on white. So. Oh my gosh, my hair is not a bun. <laughs> Room 311 was completely renovated in 2018 during a $25 million renovation. That's when the new owners took place. There was new owners that bought it in 2017. Mm-hmm. Then they went through that renovation. And then after they were finished with the renovation, they put the room out for rent again. That's kind of a shame. They should have just left that room alone. Right. So, Tracy, do you think anything strange happened during the remodeling? Well, I'm sure there's something had to come up. I saw an interview with the current owner by the name of John Whites. And John says that he still doesn't really know if he believes in ghosts but there have definitely been some things happened there since he's owned it that he can't explain like explanations of people wanting to leave in the middle of the night because (laughs) they have felt someone touch them or they heard creepy noises so he finds that odd Mm -hmm. of course that could always be chalked up to people knowing so they and it's in their mind they're just just, you know thinking they're hearing that stuff 
But the main thing that grabbed his attention is what happened during the construction. The construction crew started complaining that they couldn't get the room 311 unlocked. When the demolition contractors got to the hotel, the very first thing they did was completely remove all of the doors. That way they can get in and out without having to worry about all that stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Every door came off except 311. They couldn't even get a screwdriver in to get the handle off. Oh my gosh. The only way that they could gain access to the room was to take a saw to the door and cut the majority of the inside of the door away so they could just walk through. And I've seen pictures of that where they did it. That's crazy. The room was also the only room that had a pipe burst during the renovation. Oh. And supposedly all the water and stuff was shut off at that time. <gasps> so it shouldn't have happened, but a pipe burst in that room. I hope while they were there and not... No, I don't know. Because that would have been terrible. Can you imagine the mess? Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my gosh. But, and you know, several crews refused to come in there and work because of the yeah, things that Yeah, well, I happened. mean, I can't hardly blame them. There's some other occurrences inside the rest of the hotel as well. Amy Petula is a paranormal investigator, and she also owns the Chattanooga Ghost Tours that we went on the other mm-hmm. night. She's got a picture of, it's like, a, it's hard to explain. It's definitely interesting, but it's it, she caught this in the silver ballroom. That's another room that supposedly a lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of mirrors inside that room. She said, if you look online, there are tons of reports of hauntings in the ballroom, and most of them involve in the mirror and a man that is often seen in these mirrors. Lots of things show up, in almost every case, it's in these mirrors. Her picture, for example, was of two women that were standing next to her. There was no one else in the room, but for some reason, when the picture was taken, it was the three of them and another man. And they said he was clearly in the picture, so they cannot figure out where he would have came from, but it's definitely not the only time that that's happened. Oh, I mean, I think Jason showed us some really cool pictures that people had, to- had oh, yeah. taken. Cool, cool pictures. Oh, yeah. It's like, whoa. They were really good, too. I watched a YouTube video of this couple. They stayed and in room 405, which was, you know, obviously one, one floor up. They were there for two nights in July of 2015. And the first night, which was a Friday, they said they were sleeping and the, the woman of the couple... She heard this rattling of the door. It was late at night, but the rattling of the door, like somebody was just... Trying to get in? Yeah, or? going crazy at it. Not like a little bit, like yeah, they're jiggling yeah. the key, like rattling the, the the whole thing, you know, the handle off the hooks. Well, handle's not the hook, but you get it. Yeah. Like, oh my God, let me in, hurry. Right. So she woke her, woke her husband up, and he, he could hear the tail end of it, and he grabbed his gun and went to the door and opened it up, and nothing. Nobody was there, even though it was still rattling when he got to the door. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They said the next night a fire alarm went off and they all, everybody in the hotel had to evacuate and stand outside in the rain for 20 minutes. Ugh. And they said that they believed that the fire alarms go off on a regular basis, but nobody could tell them why. When mm-hmm. they asked, when they were checking out, they said they didn't see anybody from the hotel the whole time they were out. They didn't, when they came downstairs from the, from the fire alarm, uh-huh. they didn't see anybody from the hotel there. The whole time they were outside, they didn't see anybody. You mean people that work there? Yes. They just saw the, the just all the standard people, and they said. Then when they went back in, they just went in because everybody else was going in. They don't know who told them to go back in, but the next day when they went to check out, it was like, yeah, 
We don't know. It is what it is. Oh my gosh, that's creepy. And the last thing we're going to talk about here, there was an Atlanta couple. They were the very first guests to stay in room 311 after the renovation. Ooh. How would you like to meet that people? What do you think it cost to stay there that first night? Oh, I have no clue. $666. Oh my gosh. They did that on purpose, right? Well, I'm sure they did. Oh my goodness. I think our tour guide deal, and I said it cost like $900 to stay there. You know, he he did. I remember him saying that. Yep. $900. Yeah, not me. Not me either. The couple said that they had a sleepless night. I better be getting a massage and everything from them ghosts if I'm going <laughs> to pay that kind of money. They heard voices. They said that they got touched. And they got scratched. Mm. Sheba, who was the young woman, she said that she felt someone or something grab her wrist and, and the couple felt something pushing against the bed while they were in there. Sheba said she also kept seeing something move out of the corner of her eye. Now, her husband, Tripp, said at one point he walked from the living room to the bedroom and all of the drawers were pulled out. And Tripp said he shook for 10 minutes after that. He was so freaked out. Okay, now, did they know about this room before they went in yes, there? Oh, yes, they did. Because yes. I was going to say, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get my $665 back. You can keep the order. You know what I'm saying? But if they knew it, I guess they wouldn't get their money back. But they said that their names were the Gormans. They said that they didn't believe in ghosts before, but they do now. Why would you spend 600 and some dollars to stay in a haunted room if you don't believe in ghosts? Unless you were, like, skeptical, but you... Wanted the chance to see something. Maybe they thought that's the only excitement they were going to see for the night. All right, so let's talk about this room and my frustration with the Reed Hotel. Oh. First of all, we had heard descriptions of the room. So they, when they re- remodeled this room, they remodeled it back to the way it would have been originally in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. There's no television. Oh, that's true. There's I no remember internet. That. Nope. They said that it's got an old time phone. And of course, it's got the old time bathtub. Mm-hmm. Like the one that the girl Annalisa was... would have been found in. And I thought that was cool. And we were told by our tour guide that sometimes they will, if you call, they will allow people to come in and see the room. In between guests. You know, right. So like at the time they've cleaned up after the one's left and then the new one's coming in. This thing is booked months in advance. So mm-hmm. you can't, as expensive as it is, people are staying there. So you're not going to catch it when there's nobody in there. You got to get it in between the time. So I called the next morning and the gentleman answered the phone. He couldn't have been nicer. And I told him who I was and he said, oh, that would be awesome. It would be great publicity. And he said... You know, we we should be able to get you in by one thirty. It was 12 o'clock at this time. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, cool. That would be great. And I said, you know, we'd like to be able to take some pictures. Oh, well, they don't normally let people take pictures. And I'm like, okay. And then he said, let me see if I can get permission for all this. So then I got disconnected. I called back, got a hold of him again. And he said, let me put you in touch with our general manager to get you permission. I thought this was all worked out. We were going to be able to come, get a look at the place. And then the general manager never called me back. Yeah. That was Friday morning. And today is Sunday. And I still haven't gotten a call back. (laughs) 
So, <laughs> I, you know, I would I would have liked to have been able to come just check it out so I could have described it to you guys. Yeah. But yeah, maybe they're just busy and. You know. Why do you got? Whose side are you on? I'm on your side, babe. I drove four and a half hours. I was going to give them free publicity. We're doing a story on their hotel, and you're going to take their side. He had enough time to call back. Well, I'll, he knew I we meant were, that. He yeah. knew we were visiting from out of town. We only had an hour and a half to be able to get up there before new guests came in. Anyways, I'm not mad at them. I'm mm-hmm. just saying it would have been really cool for this episode to be able to go up and check that room out and be able to, to have something. But yeah, I mean, that would have been pretty cool. Instead, all we got was stuck in a thunderstorm out in their courtyard. <laughs> and really bad windblown hair. Woo. <laughs> all right, guys, so we're going to take uh, a quick break from our for our sponsor, and uh, then we'll be back to tell you a little bit about some news we got going on, and uh, we'll jump into our fun stories from the young ladies from the tales that we tell. All right, Tracy, live events real quick. We are almost completely sold out of St. Augustine. I think we've got 10 tickets left. Good. So go snatch those up. Also, if you remember, we added some uh, spots to the investigation of the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Mm -hmm. You can get those tickets, too. We've only got about 20 of those left. And that's going to be cool. That'll be the Friday night. And that is a full-fledged investigation. So be prepared to ghost hunt. And it's just going to be us there, us and our little group. That's awesome. Cannot wait. Also, we are running low on tickets to Bobby Mackey's. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get that one, you better snatch that one up. That's in October. We still have about uh, 25 tickets left for Galveston. And we've got, a, we got I think... 20 tickets left for Memphis. Okay. We haven't sold it. That's only 25 tickets to that Memphis thing. So if you want to come have a little private dinner with Tracy and I, if not, it's going to be really private. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the seven of us. Yeah. Because I think we've sold five tickets so far. The cruise. I don't even know what to say, guys. You guys are just freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Freaking amazing. We got, I got the newest updates today. 79 cabins and 100, I'm sorry, 83 cabins and 173 people have already booked their cruise. Gosh, you guys are so amazing. This is going to be so daggone fun. It is. <sighs> and we hadn't mentioned this before. We're working on this. We're going to try to make this happen. And if one of you out there has a suggestion, please get with us. We have a listener. And I, I don't want to give her name because I haven't cleared that with her yet. We have a listener that said that she would like to help send a wounded warrior, not necessarily from the wounded warrior organization, but somebody who has been in the military that has, you know, had to leave the military because they were injured. She would like to send them on a cruise. And she would donate $500 for the ticket for that person. And we said, okay, that sounds like a great plan. And if we do that, Tracy and I will, will pay the other five or $600 mm-hmm. to get somebody to come with them. So between the two of us, we will be donating a cruise to somebody. Um, but it's been harder to find a person. I went through the wounded warriors project. They couldn't just, find us a person and help us out. They wanted us to just donate it and then they do it and or don't do it. And we want to have, a, you know, a little bit of control and make sure that this actually happens and mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. So I've got a couple people that's helping us. I've tried to go through a couple of other organizations. So if you know somebody that's ex-military, 
that uh, has a disability from being, you know, in in one of the wars or something like that, that live in Florida. And we're saying that because we want to make sure that they can travel easy there because we're not going to be able to provide the airfare or something across the country. So if you know somebody, you know, within a four or five hour drive from Miami that can get there by car, send us a name and we'll see what we can get worked out. But, you know, now I know we've got plenty of time, but we want to make sure that whoever we pick gets to have time to plan this accordingly and all that. So that's what we're trying to do. So between between this listener and between us, we want to be able to, to give away a cruise to somebody from our military. And I'll go further, even if it's a police officer or or somebody like that that was injured in a lot of duty. But if they're just within four or five hours of Miami, somewhere within Florida that's driving distance, send us the names. And if we get multiple people, you know, maybe we'll just draw one out of a hat or something. It sounds good, so, honey. But I've got a couple of people helping us look. But if you guys know somebody, that'll make it a lot easier. But we want to try to give back as much as we can. Sounds great to me. Tracy, what do we got on uh, iTunes reviews and uh, Patreon? We have Jen Pill, Aaron Kelly, and Mojo Lobster. Thank you for your awesome reviews. You guys rock. And for our Patreons, we have Jennifer Pill, Ebony Calhoun, Mindy Hull, and Melissa Pridemore. Thank you guys so much for your support. We honestly cannot do this without you all. And we just hope you all know how much we appreciate you all. Yeah, I mean, we do appreciate it. Like, to be able to give back for the cruise and stuff, that's, that's where exactly where that money's coming from. We'll mm-hmm. take it straight out of Patreon and, you know, so... In a, in a sense, you guys are, are are helping to send somebody along just mm-hmm. from what you're, you normally would do every month. Yeah, and we appreciate y'all more than you ever know. And just keep hanging with us if you will. Yep, and if you remember, if, if you join Patreon, it doesn't cost you anything to start, so you can kind of sample up. They don't charge you till the first of the month. So you get a chance to kind of see what's out there. There's over a thousand episodes between the shorts and the full lengths, and uh, we'll be more than happy to add to that every single month so you guys can get on plus you get free episodes uh, as far as the commercial free episodes mm-hmm. of what we do so you don't have to worry about hearing all the commercials i even cut out the oh you could take all stuff yeah mm-hmm. all right this is fun well first of all yes. i know you're getting ready to do the interview but i meant to say it at the beginning of the show happy mother's day to oh, you yeah, guys I meant to say that too yeah happy mother's day to all you beautiful women and gentlemen that take that role on as well um, we just wanted to ho- say we hope y'all had a great day. I know I did. Nice. Hey, you're welcome. You remember probably we did the story on Count von Kassel in uh, Key West, who fell in love with the young lady who had the TB, and then when she mm-hmm. died, he kind of you know stole yeah. her corpse and you know did naughty, naughty stuff to her for years and kind of kept her for like I think it was like seven years before it actually eventually was found out. These young ladies are going to tell you a story that's along that lines, but it was a lot more recent. This was like in the last, I think it was 2013 or something. Oh, wow. So, and it's in another country, but it's a freaky story. Mm-hmm. And you're going to love these young ladies. They have such a great personality. They've got a fun show. The show is called The Tales That We Tell. And I'll tell you, there's two shows that had that name. So you'll want to make sure you get the right one. This is the one that has... Uh, Katie and Hannah on board. So let's take a listen. Once you once you hear this story, you're, you're going to love them, though. You'll be subscribing. So thank you. Hey, guys. I have some special guests 
on the air with us. I guess on video also. So if you're watching on video, here you go. And it's kind of cool. We both have candles burning in the background next to skulls and skeletons. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed yeah. that or not. But this is Katie and Hannah from the Tales We Tell podcast. Ladies, welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're really excited. Yeah, I, we're very proud of our little altar with our you know, our skeletons, our candles, our spooky stuff, but your office definitely puts us to shame. So we'll we've, been, work, we've been working on this for a while. So we, we've had uh, <laughs> some people, we have people that send us stuff. This one actually came in, uh, a listener sent this to us the other day. She knows I'm a big exorcist fan. Ooh, so I actually set that up here, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Little trinkets along the way that we end up getting. And, uh, we love it. It may, it sets the mood when we're recording the podcast. It does set the mood. Yeah. And it gives me a place to put all of the weird, creepy, like haunted stuff that I collect and I don't want to put in my house. Like Annabelle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've got a, uh, it's, it's just out of range right now, but we have, let's see if I can tilt. That's my miniature oh. Robert the oh, doll. Gosh. And then a picture of me next to the real Robert the doll right next to it. Oof. Nice. That means, that's a little much for me. <laughs> we have our ho we have a, a creepy hobo clown that sits at the top of our shelf here, and yeah. he recently had to move because he was right next to the computer for a long time. And when I would do my research there, he just I'm perfectly happy with him being up there to where he's not <laughs> staring at me like he used to be. Though I am very nervous about one day randomly in an episode he just falls on me. Uh, that's when I leave. <laughs> I have a, uh, I'll, I'll show you this, right beside me, I have a little creepy doll in an old uh, stroller that Ooh, stares okay. at me. That mm -hmm. is creepy. <laughs> I feel like now I need to get Steven. Oh, goodness. Now that we're sharing. I mean, if, if we're going to share spaces, we need to <laughs> have our Steven, the squirrel. Nice. He's my favorite. He was actually, he was actually my grandfather's and... Out of context, he's a little creepy, so he lives in the office here with us. This is my yeah. favorite back scratcher. <laughs> it actually came from uh, Eastern State Penitentiary. So, Ooh, oh, nice. Yeah, nice. we went up there uh, a couple of years ago at their uh, haunted attraction they had with mm -hmm. terror behind the walls, and they yeah. had it for sale. And I'm like, I gotta have that. <laughs> we have a short road trip list that we're we've been compiling. Mm -hmm. They got put on hold because of COVID, but. Um, I think Eastern State ended up on it. When yep, we did that's on the list. And uh, New Jersey for the Jersey Devil. Jersey Devil. And, and the Cleveland yeah. Police Museum. Yep. <laughs> so ladies, ideally, our, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I, I was going to say, our ultimate goal is the body farm, but we know that that's pretty much only for researchers and such. We'll just get our degrees. It's, it's good. You talk about the body farm in Knoxville? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've actually been there. Uh, really? years, years ago, I had a, a, a gentleman that I was doing some business with. He was an, uh, I guess he, a freelance photographer and he had taken a picture down there of a very badly decomposed body. And he printed out a copy. It was eight by 10. He gave it to me and I hung it up in my office with a <laughs> until they made me take it down. <laughs> Apparently it was inappropriate for a mortgage business, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's always been my fascination, but yeah, it's a really, really cool place up there. Um, uh, Ladies, I guess, Hannah, I'll start with you. Okay. Tell me about the Tales We Tell. What kind of podcast is it? How <laughs> did you uh, uh, come up with the idea to start it? So we came up with the idea. It all, it started a year, a year and a half ago, Christmas of 
2019, I think. Mm-hmm. And you'd been talking about wanting to do a podcast. And so Jarek bought you the fancy mic yes. setup for Christmas. My husband gifted me with a professional microphone. And so over Christmas break or the time that we were off of work for Christmas, he and I were just brainstorming ideas. And I, I mean, I just said, I guess off mic, the, the tales we are, um, <laughs> the tales we tell. And that's why we drink is my favorite podcast right now it all kind of fluctuates but I like their idea where they do um true crime and kind of spooky stories I mm-hmm. like both of those things I knew there was an oversaturated market for true crime podcasts so we wanted to kind of steer away from that so with the tales we tell typically our kind of scale for what we cover is anything that's dark and creepy and kind of freaks us out a little bit I think all of that's fair game so our our tag is spooky stories unsolved mysteries and local lore we do try to kind of stick to those top three but anything that's creepy any particularly horrible serial killer any really gross story we'll cover that so it's whatever we find entertaining how, how do you and Katie know each other and how did Katie become part of the podcast you want to tell how we met? Sure. (laughs) Uh, We actually met at her brother and sister-in-law's house several years ago, and we we didn't officially meet. We were sitting down at the table having a discussion with several other people, and I remember like, I have no idea who this person is or even her name, but I like her. I I agree with a lot of her, (laughs) her thoughts and, you know, all of her statements and everything. And then I found out later, of course, after she had already left that, oh, that's Hannah. She's dating uh, Jarek, our, my friend's brother. And so we just, you know, we're always in a group together, always hung out and yeah. And so she told me about the, the podcast idea for the Mm -hmm. tales we tell, knowing that I'm also a big fan of podcasts. Uh, from my tribe, I have to drive a lot out in the middle of nowhere. So I put on podcasts all day. And so she was telling me about her idea and said, Hey, would you like to you know, come on every now and then and be a guest host? And I was <laughs> very enthusiastic about it. And so when we started, like I said, originally her plan was to have different guest hosts from time to time. And we just started it and we stuck with it. Yep. That's how you, you uh, ladies have a miniature version of your podcast, a little episode worked up for us today, <laughs> I understand. We do. So I'm just going to turn it completely over to you two and let you do what you do best. Okay, great. You ready, Stephen? <laughs> um, well, Katie, I've been trying to keep this a secret from you because I'm actually going to cover an episode that we did about a year ago in a condensed version. I've been not telling Katie because I want her to forget everything I told her about it. And I picked this one because it's not a ghost story. It's not a unsolved mystery. (laughs) And it's not necessarily about local lore. It's just a really creepy story (laughs) that I found one time and just went with it. And it's apropos to what we talked about earlier or what we were discussing earlier about the body farm, Hmm. I think. So this is from episode... 30, which originally aired September 23rd of last year. And this takes place in the town of Nizhny Novgorod, Russia. Ah. <laughs> the good old town of Nizhny. In 2009 through 2011, there were a series of local graves being desecrated in this little town of Nizhny, which is about 
300 miles from Moscow to give you an idea. Desecrated how? Well, that's my next point. <laughs> that's what I do. Gotta ruin everything. Sorry. <laughs> the nature of the vandalism isn't actually clear. Some of them, I think, had just kind of been disturbed. Some of them had been dug up, though. So authorities get involved, naturally, and they believe that this is the work of some kind of extremist group. And so they put a bunch of officers from their extremist crimes department on the case, and they don't find anything. And for two years, these desecrations continue to happen with just nothing going for them. And uh, was there any kind of, I don't know, continuity between the desecrations? Like, were they all kind of similar in nature or were they all very varied? I think they were varied because in 2011, they started having, or they started seeing some of these that were specifically targeted towards Muslim graves and the pictures, um, I guess there were pictures of the the deceased, they were being painted over, covered over in some way. Well, that's not cool. It's not cool. So on 2000, sorry, on November 2nd, 2011, they were getting reports of this. So they go out to this graveyard in Nizhny and they find 45 year old Anatoly Moskvin painting over pictures of the deceased. And so they were like, you're under arrest. You can't do this. <laughs> so they arrest him and they go to his home to search it because he's being suspicious. And eight police officers ended up showing up. And at this point during the original episode, I showed you a video of the police search. I know you're, you're hoping that I've forgotten <laughs> everything, but as soon as you said his name, or as soon as you got into talking about the grave desecrations, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to even pretend <laughs> that I don't know exactly who you're talking about and exactly what mm. these police officers are going to find in his home. Wow. Let me tell <sighs> you a little bit about Anatoly Moskvin, this 45 year old grave desecrator. He is kind of an eccentric guy. He lives with his parents. He had studied linguistics, folklore, Celtic history. He was very, very intelligent. He was a lecturer. He had published a whole bunch of works and he was contributing regularly to a lot of different publications. He was just a little bit weird. Just one of those like super smart, but really weird, like little, very intelligent, very low social yeah. intelligence. And he was thing. considered like an expert in his field from all of his peers. They were just like, he's just kind of weird. He also had a particular interest in cemeteries, burial rituals, death, and the occult. I mean, somebody's got to be interested in that stuff, right? This is true. So inside his home, investigators find a whole lot of junk. He's a little bit of a hoarder. So uh, Hannah, I saw the video. <laughs> Do not call him a little bit He's of a, a hoarder. He's a lot of bit of a hoarder. <laughs> He had papers, boxes, clothes. He was also a collector. So he had over six, 60,000 books and documents in his personal collection. He also had a large doll collection. And you mean that in two ways. I do. I mean, <laughs> large quantity of dolls, but also large dolls themselves. Large in size. Large in size. Specifically, he had 26 life-size dolls, all scattered throughout his junky apartment. I had one when I was a kid, <laughs> but it was actually, it wasn't so much a life-size doll as it had uh, like elastic bands on the hands and kind of the feet. And so you could, and it had stretchy arms. So you could kind of like wear and do cartwheels with the doll. That sounds I didn't have it for horrifying. a very long time, but it was super fun for a while. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a life-size Barbie. 
No, I never had a life-size Barbie. I had a My Twin doll. Keep in mind, I'm an only child. So (laughs) having, you know, another doll that could do stuff with me kind of was, you know, it's very nice for a lonely only child like myself. (laughs) Okay. Vivid imagination. Well, let me tell you about Anatoly's dolls. They're a little different. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So all of these dolls had colorful clothing. Their hands were wrapped in fabric and their faces were painted. And the reason for this is because every single one of those dolls was the mummified corpse of a child between the ages of three and 12. The investigators found nameplates that had been removed from the graves. Some of them had um, music boxes inside of them so that when you moved them, they made noises. (laughs) It's just, it's creepy enough as is and... Yeah, very, very demeaning to oh, the, for sure. the person's remains and their family. Mm-hmm. But making them have a music box, it's mm-hmm. almost like, you know, those cards that it opens up mm-hmm. and you can record a message. It's almost uh, like sticking one of those things in there. Yeah. And he was, I mean, literally putting them inside the, the body cavities of these dead children. Um, they also found maps of the cemeteries in the area. They found some instructions on how to make dolls, I guess, in case anyone else wanted to join him. How to make dolls or <laughs> mummies? D- dolls out of mummies. And um, there's photographs and videos, um, or he had photographs and videos that showed open graves, disinterred bodies. Like he was basically was handing them all the evidence they needed. He was not into stealth mode while doing this. No. Um, he also, there was hospital tags with the date and cause of death found, um, attached to one of the dolls. There's a piece of gravestone found in another one, and there was a dried human heart found in one of them. So he was just collecting. Were they ever able to tell if that heart belonged to the house that it was in? I don't know. I would assume not. Don't they remove organs when you're embalmed? I think so, but not everyone is embalmed and, you know, there's... Hmm different cultures and religions and stuff have different rules and regulations about processing bodies for burial. I don't know. Katie always asks me questions. (laughs) She knows the exact question that I'm not going to have the answer to and she'll ask it. Or I'll ask the question that you're about to answer in your next point. Exactly. So Anatoly obviously gets taken in for questioning and in his interview, he explains very simply, he had always wanted children He had always regretted that he never got married and had kids of his own. He had tried to adopt against his parents' wishes and probably against the wishes of everyone and was denied because he, they said because of his income, I'm going to assume there were a couple other reasons there. They were, they probably told him it was because of his income. (laughs) And when really it was like, this guy is a freak. So (laughs) no um, remember I told you he was really into the occult and burial rituals and stuff like that? Well, I'm not shocked now knowing that, uh, <laughs> he's dug up corpses, mummified them and turned them into his little doll playthings. Yes. Well, he also believed that the dead could be brought back to life using science or magic, depending. I mean, they're basically the same thing. Whichever right? one works. <laughs> And in some of the Celtic cultures that he studied, druids would sleep on graves to communicate with the spirits of the dead. So he was doing that at first. He would read obituaries of dead children. I guess the children spoke to him the most because 
he wanted a child you know the death of a child is very sad so he would find these specific obituaries well with how intelligent he was and how unable to communicate well with other adults and stuff and probably feeling that social awkwardness uh-huh. i imagine that communicating with kids was probably a lot easier in a way probably because they probably didn't automatically already think that he's weird because he's not following the social <laughs> norms because they don't know all the social norms yet either so. also communicating with the dead was probably easier because they don't usually talk back so, until they do until well okay so he would he would find an obituary that spoke to him he would go to that grave and he would sleep on it he would ask the child if they wanted to be brought back to life he said that he'd been doing this for over 20 years and that he never dug up a grave without the child's permission as he got older Sleeping on the graves became uncomfortable because, you know, our bodies fall apart as we age. So instead of sleeping well on aware. the instead of sleeping on the hard ground, he would dig up the whole grave and bring the body home with him so he could sleep near it, but also be in his own bed. See, that just kind of goes against what he was saying. He never dug up a grave without their permission, but he dug him up. And so what if he brings them home, he sleeps near them, and they're like, you know what, actually, we don't want to go back, come back to life. Could you go ahead and put us back in our casket and bury us (laughs) up again nicely? I think he should have just brought a cot and slept next to the grave, you know? That would have probably been better. This, I think, is where we found out that you are confident that you could dig up a whole grave and carry a body home. Yes. Okay. I mean, I don't think I could do that now that I've destroyed my shoulder and (laughs) the American healthcare system doesn't want to help me out with it. I mean, it's fine. So Anatoly would bring the bodies home. He was hoping that in a warm, welcoming, kind of safe environment that they would be more willing to talk. And he also thought, logically, that he would be able to hear them better if they weren't all the way underground. Muffled by all that dirt. Yeah, sleeping right next to him. Um, he did, you kind of mentioned this earlier because you smartly remembered, he did mummify the bodies himself. So he would dry them out using a homemade mixture of salt and baking soda and would keep them in a dry place until they had dried completely. And then he would, so he did all this before taking them home. He would take them out of the graves, do this mixture treatment to them and put them somewhere safe until they dried out. And then he would bring them home. I have no idea how he got them home. I don't think he had a car. I He just carried... Well, he might have wrapped them up in something. Also, these are children, so they're smaller and lighter. That's and true. then also, once they're mummified, they're essentially they're dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So once you've gotten all that moisture out of them, they're going to be a lot lighter. So that heavy moisture. Water is heavy. That's why you're the scientist. <laughs> Anatoly said that the reason he made them into dolls was because he was worried that they would be unhappy in their decomposed slash mummified bodies. And he wanted them to have functional bodies because he was eventually planning on bringing them back to life once he learned how to do it. Step one, rehydrate. (laughs) So it is, I mean, it's kind of sweet that he like didn't want them to, he had this idea he was going to bring these children back to life and then they would be like, oh, I'm so sad because I'm in this ugly mummified body. So he was, I mean, in a, with childlike logic, doing something nice. I remember having this discussion. It was one of those really like, you want to be mad at him and think that he's a monster because he has dug up the, mm-hmm. the, the 
the bodies of these children whose family has buried them and mourned them and you know and it's it's just awful what he's putting the families right. and the loved ones of these people through but at the same time he's clearly mentally disturbed oh for sure and so like if you look at it from a normal person's logic it's crazy but when you hear his explanation and you try and see it, it it's you kind of feel for him yeah i mean not someone who should be like on the street you know able to do these things right but maybe not an evil person i would say yeah he didn't have monstrous intent with them no No, he did not so because when you dehydrate a body it shrinks and withers he would stuff the bodies with rags to keep them plump i guess and then he would wrap their limbs in clothing or stockings or something to i guess make it look less horrible keep pieces from falling off yeah yeah sometimes he would make wax masks for their face and he would paint big bright colors on them sometimes he would put buttons or toy eyes in their eye sockets so that they could watch tv with him and he thought of all of them as his children and even set up tea parties for them and celebrated their birthdays except there were some that he said he disliked and he kept those in the garage just out of sight out of mind (laughs) don't know why I don't know what you. Those have. are the ones I wish I'd never brought. <laughs> I know I Maria know. back. I don't know why he wouldn't. What a little brat! Put them back in their graves. Can't it's imagine so why they wouldn't let him adopt. <laughs> I know, right? They might have done a home visit, and they were like, "You have a lot of life-size dolls. Maybe not. Maybe you don't." Friends need for the children. Oh. So <laughs> you're staying in the garage until you learn to behave. Oh <laughs> he was Anatoly was charged with 44 counts of desecration of graves and dead bodies in 2013. In his confession in court, he said to the families, quote, you abandoned your girls. I brought them home and warmed them up. Which, don't say that to the families of dead children. No, no. A psyche eval showed that he was schizophrenic with paranoia and unfit to stand trial. And so instead of doing that they sentenced him to coercive medical treatment in 2012 now that sounds terrifying and like unethical really coercive also coercive medical treatment in russia Mm. in 2012 so (laughs) as far as i know he is still under court-ordered medical psych treatment his parents when interviewers talked to them because he lived with his parents, Mm -hmm. his parents said, Oh yeah, we knew about the dolls. We just thought he had a hobby of making really creepy life-size dolls. Mm. And they obviously didn't have any idea that there were corpses inside of them. And they got kind of ostracized once everyone found out because everyone said you should have known. Right. Neighbors, when they were interviewed said that they were shocked because Anatoly was quiet best kind of neighbor to have Mm -hmm. but they had noticed a rancid smell coming from his apartment (laughs) but they just assumed that it was the nasty smell of all gross apartments (laughs) or i'm wondering if maybe they knew he was a hoarder and they're like oh that's just the way yeah it's either it's either just no hoarder houses i've never been in one thankfully (laughs) but i i did get totally sucked into the hoarders tv show i was gonna say i've watched every episode of hoarders yeah Yeah, tracy tracy watches that on a loop she's oh yeah 
it's so good. It's it's totally binge worthy. It like you, you can't look away. You it's really a, can't. It's the same to me every episode. <laughs> the, it, it makes me it makes me feel better about my own house. <laughs> so I'll watch it when I'm like, I should be cleaning. And then I'll watch a couple episodes. And I'm like, you know what? My house is actually very clean. <laughs> my, my favorite I, was the woman who they found the, the dead decomposed rat in her house. And she said she was uh, going to use it to make art. Oh, yes. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel bad when watching it sometimes because these are people who have a yeah. mental issue, but at the same time, like there's the, the therapist there that's helping try to get to the root of the problems mm-hmm. and help them solve and work through them. But I also just, I'm a big sucker for before and after things. Oh yeah. I love, you know, before a makeover and after, before a renovation and after. So I just, I love seeing that cleaned out, finished, fixed product. Well, I will say, as we all know, since we all watch hoarders, when you go into a hoarder's house, I assume, and you smell what smells like decomposing flesh, there's probably a dead something in the house. Probably dead rats, cats, other things that might have gotten in. And I would suggest if that person also has 26 life-size dolls in their house, that maybe you should call someone to investigate that because that's... I don't know. I'm putting it on the neighbors on this one. I feel like the neighbors should have known. Well, the, well, parents, so he... the parents should have also picked up on the smell thing unless yeah. they were just, you know, creepy dolls. But when you start smelling <laughs> decomposing flesh, maybe you put one and two together. Yeah. It's, it's really on a, lot, a bunch of people. Yeah. I agree. Well, as of 2018, Anatoly was still in a psychiatric facility and he is going to stay there until the court deems him fit to leave, which presumably unless he gets rid of this weird idea of his and his desire to uh reanimate bodies rescue yeah rescue dead children and reanimate them he will be staying there but i will say because that's the end of of my notes here but we go into a lot more detail (laughs) in the regular episode so episode 30 of the tales we tell podcast goes into a little bit more about Anatoly Moskvin. Yeah, him as a person, I think a little bit more about some of the uh, children who mm-hmm. he- There's some specific- Dug up, yeah. yeah. It's very sad, actually. <laughs> it was is. There, was there any connection between him and Count Bonacaso? Because that, a lot of the things that he did was the same thing Bonacaso was doing, what back in the uh, 40s, I think it was. Uh, and so, that- you know- because he had taken the, the young lady and taken her from the grave and stuffed her with yeah. rags and he yeah. did the wax on the face. and Was so he I'm, the one who was, he was in love with her, right? Yes. And wanted to, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure it, I'm sure they have a similar. I'm sure that's where he got some of his inspiration because he was, you know, into, you know, he was history more so mm-hmm. than uh, anything else than all of his, I'm sure in his, what, six how many 60,000 60, books and documents that he <laughs> collected uh he's probably read about it yeah, and probably sure. got some inspiration from there yeah well the moral of the story is if your neighbor has a house that smells like rotting bodies and also collects giant dolls report them or maybe ha- do a welfare check on them yeah and also don't dig up graves of children 
Yeah. Even I mean, if, even if they say they want to come back <laughs> to if life, you, if, even if when you lay on their graves, they tell you that they would like to come back to life. And if you're sure that you can do it one day, but that day is not today, wait, wait until you actually can. Just kidding. Don't maybe don't bodies. Don't try about. and reanimate dead bodies. You're supposed to be a scientist. Katie. There's so many movies about attempting to bring the dead back to life that are all reasons for why you should not attempt to bring the dead back to life. <laughs> that is true. It never works out well. No, no, I agree. But yeah, that's what we got. All right. Well, I know this is probably inappropriate, but the whole time you were talking, I can't help but to notice that the skeleton behind you looks like that his groin area is on fire. <laughs> it probably so, doesn't look like that up close from where you are, but from the <laughs> video angle. Katie noticed that. So... <laughs> I said he looked cold, so I wanted to put the candle closer to him to warm him up. But also, uh, before we opened up the curtains and let more light in here, the candle was doing a really good job of lighting up his face, kind of like when you hold the flashlight under your chin oh, yeah. and you tell a spooky story. It made him look really cool. Uh, and then it got too bright, and so now now he's just fire crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because he hasn't had a name before today and now he does. I now think. he does. Great. Katie and Hannah, it has been a blast having you on. Tell everybody how they can keep up with you on social media and how they can uh, find all things The Tales We Tell. We are on Instagram at The Tales We Tell podcast. Uh, same thing on Facebook. We also have a website for all of our non-social media friends. It's thetaleswetellpodcast.com and all of the pictures that we talk about and look at in the episodes are posted on Instagram, Facebook, and also on that website. Mm -hmm. You can, of course, listen to our podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. Also, our Instagram bio has a link tree in it where you can find links to our Redbubble store for merch, our Patreon, um, the website, anything when we talk, anything that has a link, it's in, it's on the Instagram, so... Well, and I, uh, I was going to say, I've, I've been listening for a couple of weeks. You ladies are absolutely a blast to listen to. <laughs> Today was a really good representation uh, of how you interact. Your episodes obviously are longer than this because it was a little mm -hmm. shorter time, but uh, you do good research. It's it's fun banter back and forth. You, know, you two have a great uh, kind of uh, connection to each other and it, and it shows. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and thank you so much again for having us on. we we, when we were looking into your podcast, I was like, this is kind of a big, this is kind of a big deal. I was sitting here like waiting for the, the Zoom to start and like, okay. And I think it was literally, it was 2.59 and all three of us, we were just silent we just and just like quietly waiting. We were so nervous, <laughs> but it's this been really fun and really exciting for us. So yeah. thank you so much for having us. Well, we, we wish you tons of success moving forward. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. How creepy was that story? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. Pretty wackadoodle. I mean, how are you just going to have, how are you going to live in an apartment with your grown-ass son, and he's got all these life-size dolls running around, you got this stench, and you don't think nothing of it? Oh, I just thought, I just thought it was just, you know, he had a fascination with dolls, and yeah. what about the smell? Yeah. I mean, the neighbors and stuff complained about it. How do, how do they not know when they Ugh, live there? I don't know. It's, that's really But gross. they were kind of said to be hoarders as well. So, so there well, you go. Yeah. There you go. That's a perfect cover-up. Anyways, guys, we love you so much. Thank you for everything you do. And uh, 
this was a fun show. We had a fun weekend. Thanks for everybody who responded to all of our pictures and stuff we posted on social media from our trip. You you guys always seem to genuinely be happy that we're on trips and relaxing and stuff like that. So Yeah, we appreciate y'all so much. And we hope y'all have a blessed week.